This is the WP Elevation Podcast, helping WordPress consultants elevate. G'day, Troy Dean here from WP Elevation, and I'm very pleased to have with me Shane Pellman from Modern Tribe. Good afternoon, Shane. Hey, everybody. What's going on? What time is it where you are right now, man? It is 3.14 in the afternoon. Okay, cool. It's 8.15 in the morning here, and it's Wednesday where you are, yeah? It is. You're yeah, on yeah. Thursday. Yeah, it's it's time zone thing. I'm future man. <laughs> Pretty much. Hey, um, how's the surf over there? Hey. <laughs> so how's the surf? Your our waves come from your direction. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's pretty good. If you head if you head down the coast far enough, the surf is pretty good. Especially here in Victoria, we've got some great surf beaches. I don't actually surf because I'm a bit of a Nancy boy, but uh, I hear you do surf. So if you ever make it out here, man, I'll definitely take you down to Bell's Beach. How's that? I, I would like that very much. Awesome. Hey, just before we get into this, I just want to announce a quick contest. We're going to be um, giving away a copy of Events Calendar Pro. Shane has very kindly uh, sponsored a, a pro version of the Events Calendar plugin. For those of you that don't know, we'll be talking about that a little bit later on. Uh, so stick around for details on how you can win that. All right, before we start talking about WordPress, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, I, I wanted to work in a bookstore. Like I knew it since I was a little kid. No, I, I was that kid who used to go sit in the bookstore after school every day because that's where I wanted to be because I could read the books all day. And when I was 13, I finally convinced them to hire me, even though in the U.S. you're not allowed to hire anyone under 16. Um, So, yeah, I had this vision that I was going to build the first bookstore coffee shop because those were my two favorite things. And I was like, they need to go together. Sadly, by the time I was 17, there was one on every block. Um, but, (laughs) But that was it, man. That was my plan. So even when you were 13, you knew that you wanted to sit in coffee shops and read books. Yeah, I knew I was going to be in business. Like that was one of those things early, early on. I was like, I knew I was going to be in business. I don't know how I was going to be in business. Actually, from 17 to 20, I was determined to figure out how to be a stay-at-home dad. Like that was my plan. I was like, I'm going to do whatever I can figure out to be a stay-at-home dad. That's my plan. That's when I met my wife and she's like, Oh, tell me more sexy things about what you want to do. We quickly wow. realized I'm not very well built to be a full-time stay-at-home dad, but I'm very good at the stay-at-home part, right? and I'm good at the dad part. I just needed something else along with that. Wow. So like, how, how, what was it about being a stay-at-home dad that appealed to you at such a young age? Because I'm imagining like at 17, you weren't planning on having children just then. No, I'm... I don't know, like both my parents have had like just kind of epic careers uh, and they had a lot of travel and they had a lot of a lot of things that I have deep respect for, but they weren't there all that much. Mm. Um, we we had a full-time nanny that I grew up with and they changed almost every year and I was kind of like, I was determined not to have my kids raised by nanny that turned over every year. Yeah. Um, so, and and you know, the byproduct is my parents and I don't actually agree a lot on child rearing whatsoever. Like we're, they're like, you're, she's totally manipulating you. And I'm like, she's three months old. (laughs) (laughs) She doesn't even know what her hands are. You know? And so we, we have different, different generations, different philosophies on family. Wow. I remember, um, I remember when I first met my fiance, we had a similar conversation. I, I was, pretty adamant that I never wanted to ask anyone for time off so that I could go to a sports day or a swimming carnival with my kids. Mm -hmm. Not that I have kids yet, but I'm planning on having soon. 
And she was like, like had the same reaction. She was like, oh, my God, you don't know how attractive that is. Like, you know, yeah. a, a man who wants to kind of be around a lot and stay at home and spend time with the kids. Yeah, totally. No, I think the, the, go on. Oh, I was just going to say the, the byproduct of it is it's actually a lot of balance. Like my wife's at home too. Yeah. Uh, she runs, uh, she's a freelancer. So yeah. we're, we're kind of both at home running our own businesses. And it's honestly, I'm a pretty big fan of this life. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the web. When did you first discover the internet and all its glory? Sure. Uh, let's see. I inherited my mom's PC must have been 89, 90. It was green monochrome, IBM. I was really excited because my dad and I got a video game called Zork where it was all text-based. This was before there was pictures of any kind. And I'd go in there and I'd type like, go left, go right, look around. And, you know, <laughs> so that was uh, from there... Uh, I got really fascinated by BBSs. So these are bulletin board systems. It's kind of, I wouldn't say so much a precursor as a, as, but it was the original social network. You, you'd get on your BOD modem and be, you know, and you'd go on and you'd talk to a bunch of other people and pretty much play video games, chat, and swap porn. Uh, and, and as a 15-year-old, this was deeply engaging. Yeah. You know, like, did it kind of suck you in from the outside world? Did you spend a lot of time inside in front of the screen when you were a teenager? Yeah, I wasn't the most social kid, so it wasn't it wasn't like I was giving up a an active life or something. I pretty much read books and played at the beach and surfed, and so like yeah, it was for me. It was that was the beginning of the internet and a huge fascination with it. Yeah, and um, when did you discover WordPress? Do you remember the first time you saw the WordPress dashboard? Good question. When was it? It was 2006. I remember that. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember what version of WordPress we were on at that point. We were doing, it was actually right around the time I met Peter, we, we were working with all kinds of CMSs at that point, just trying to find something that wasn't too wacky. Um, and we'd, we'd been working with Joomla, and that was really actually quite frustrating. Um, we'd worked with a CMS called CMSMS. Uh, which was actually a pretty cool CMS, but and it was open source, but the community was kind of gnarly, and we really didn't vibe the community very well, so that we stopped contributing. Um, is that CMS, MS, is that like a content management system management system? <laughs> yes, <laughs> pretty much. I, I don't actually remember what it stands for anymore. It's been a long time. <laughs> but, um, so there's that. I mean, a lot of it for me was... I was programming in a language called Ytango that in 2006 went up and died on me. Right. It was like one of these great life tragedies because I still have yet to find anything that I think is as good as the development experience as a dev, as that language. But it was a proprietary one and the company I was running it went out of business. And, right. um, so I went shopping. We ended, up, we ended up falling in love with WordPress. A lot of it was because of some of the early UX stuff that, like, right around the time Jen came in and did the the big redesign of the admin. Um, and it was because at that point, so we were still working with a lot of CMSs, and with every project we'd have, eventually, six six to nine months later, you could almost count it. Like, we had a, we had a running joke about it. The client would show up and be like, so... 
the only person who worked here who could figure out how to manage our website just left. <laughs> could you train somebody all over again? It could be like, no. <laughs> of course, I don't want to pay for it. And it's like, um, but that never happened with WordPress. Yeah, it just didn't happen. Like, they went on their merry way. And if we ever heard from them, it was like, so we got more money and we want to do more cool stuff. To which yeah. we're like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> this is wonderful. And awesome. So, They're the kind of phone calls you want, right? Yeah, yeah. So it sort of drove a, a long-term commitment for us as a business. And so um, around 2006, you partnered up with Peter, which is mm-hmm. you know, well-documented. How was it moving from being a solo artist to being in a duo, so to speak? Yeah. Uh, well, it wasn't even a duo for very long. Um, so I was freelancing solo from 2000 to 2006. Uh, and Peter was a surf buddy of mine in a coffee shop and... Uh, he was working over the hill, and every day, pretty close to every day around low tide, I'd, tech, I'd send him pictures of the surf and ask him how he's doing in his job over the hill. <laughs> um, so eventually he bought a house and quit on the same month, wow. which I think is crazy. Uh, turns out Reed did the same thing. Like, both my partners, totally, like, that is far riskier than I could tolerate, but... Um, and he started freelancing, and we just started working on projects together. It wasn't like we merged a business suddenly. Yeah. It was like, hey, Peter, I need to help on the design thing. You got some – do you got room for a project? Sure, dude. And we'd work on a project together, and sometimes I'd dev and he'd design, and sometimes he'd design and I'd dev. And we got to a point after about nine months where we were making more money on our combined projects than our individual projects, and we started to be like, well, whose brand goes on this? Well, it's my project. No, it's my project. And eventually his wife were like, will you two just quit screwing around and like <laughs> merge your video? You know? And so, but we weren't too very long. We grew a team really quickly. Like between the two of us, we had a long enough reputation and a big enough, we just sown enough seeds. We talked to a lot of people over the years. And so we just started finding other freelancers who wanted to do the same thing we were doing. And how did you? How was that transition from like having like being, being driving your own bus and being in complete control over your own yeah. thing? How did how did, how did that? How did you adjust to kind of having to share decisions and? Mm-hmm. Um. So strengths, weaknesses. Peter and I are actually really different people, and are like, I'm a really good starter. New ideas fresh canvases. This is my strength. Like I'm, I'm, I'm good at triage. You can pour an enormous amount of information at me and I'm very good at quickly finding the pieces that matter and ignoring the noise. Wow. Peter's an amazing detail man. Right. Like I'm the kind of guy where about 78% through your project, I'm already thinking about the next project. Like I'm done. Like this is, I've already figured out the problem. This is just details. And this is the point where Peter starts to get really good. And he's like, I'm going to get it perfect. And so a lot of times for us, like that partnership actually made a foundation for a much better company. We did better work. Um, as far as control stuff, it's interesting because we have a personality that meshes well. In fact, we kind of drive Reed crazy. So this was either, you know, adding another partner is another transition. Peter and I will talk something through until it's dead before either of us agrees. Like, there's no rash decisions that happen in our company. Um, Reed makes fun that by the time we've made a decision on something, usually a year or two have gone by. Uh, 
and both you and I are really comfortable with that. Like, you know, and we're not. Now, Reed brings a totally different sense. He brings complete practicality. So Peter and I will talk about something for two months, and then Reed will eventually go, all right, guys, so how does this make money? Mm. We'll be like, ah, you and your details. Like, you know? <laughs> so, it's like, so, you know, with each person, you bring another strength and dynamic. Um, I think for the biggest question was one of, like, control has to do more with can you trust the other person to have your best interest at heart? Because when you can't, that's when real problems start to happen. And so every year, every year, every quarter, we do a business retreat for about three, four days. We turn off the phones. We ignore our customers. We pay attention to the business. And we always start in the same way. We go like, hey, is the business still taking you where you want to go? How's, how's family? How are friends? Finance, fitness, faith? Are you having fun? And, and where... Where this plays such a vital role is I have a really, really good idea of where Peter's trying to go with his life. Mm. He has a really good idea of where I'm trying to go in my life. And we're consistently navigating and shaping a business that's going to take us where we want to go. So I have complete and total faith that Peter can be the world's most selfish bastard and I'm still going to benefit and it's going to work out in my favor because as long as he's taking care of his self-interest and I happen to want to go to the same place, works great. Yeah. Wow. The only risk is you ever find you want to go to different places. And a lot of times we're really consciously working on it. And there are compromises. There's times in our business where Peter's been like, dude, I don't really want to worry about the business right now. I want more time. I want to go play with my kid. I want to do this. Where I'm like, I want to grow. You know? And so you, sometimes you compromise and you work out and you hit different phases. But. You, you just touched on a thing about how you, you guys seem to take a long time to make decisions because you thrash things out and you really talk things through. How do you balance that with being in the, in the WordPress space and, and where things are changing so quickly, where you might have an idea and by the time you actually get around to thinking about executing it, someone else is like overtaking you from behind and they're like waving at you through the rearview mirror. Yeah. How do you kind of balance that frustration of wanting to get something out the door and make something happen and kind of being rational about it as well? Yeah, well, that happens to us all the time. Um, and, and I don't even mean, not even just at the software level, like yeah. Reed and I were writing a blog post on our philosophy on versioning because we're doing this really weird thing with events right now where we've decided that anytime all of our plugins need to be updated, we're going to do a dot release update across the board, which is weird because it means we're about to release a new product with a version release number of 3.1. <laughs> and so we're we're writing this blog post trying to explain to people why this crazy idea makes total sense. Um, only to have Tom release that article on how they're going to do theme version numbers. And we're like, oh, shit, look at that. <laughs> Looks like we're not the only people trying to figure out this kind of weird problem. So, I mean, there are. Um, but as far as, like, timing and ideas, like, oh, this is no secret. Hey, everybody, one of these days, baby, if we get around to it, we're going to build a plugin that solves calendaring for booking. We know there's a huge demand for it. It's the number requested thing on WooThemes. Mm. Like, you know, like, we know everybody knows. And it's like, we know in the back of our heads, we should probably do this. It's on our to-do list. Somebody else is going to do a good job at it sooner or later, and that window is going to close. But at the same time, you balance out 
you sit down with those decisions and you look at your goals for the company and yourself and you look at all the different places you can invest your time and your energy and you, you make triage-like strategic decisions. You so know? How, how do you do that? This is what I'm fascinated by because you say you're, you're really good at triage and I just it, it just reminds me of a lot of conversations I have with my business partner where he really wants to go and build cool features and cool stuff and I'm always the yeah. one going, how's that going to make us money? Like how is that going to yeah. help us grow and help us achieve what we're trying to achieve this quarter? So what I'm, like, how do you know which, if you've got like four or five things that you really want to get your energy into and get your teeth stuck into, how do you, how do you triage? How do you know which so, one is going to pay dividends or be the most a fun? Really or, good question. So the first thing is, do you have a picture of reality? Because a lot of times what I find is what I think is happening and what's actually happening aren't always all that well aligned. Uh, and so we spend a lot of time building a series of spreadsheets. And these spreadsheets just force a very brutal and realistic reckoning. Uh, we call it the pipeline document. The original reason we built that document was to figure out how much we could actually pay ourselves. Mm. Because it turns out as your company grows, this gets to be more and more complicated as an owner, mm. where you've got a product pipeline that maybe is going to put out, but you've got guesses and you're not sure, and you've got services, and some clients pay ahead of time, and some pay freaking six months after and you know and then you've got team that's racking up bills but they're freelancers so you don't actually know how much you're going to pay it's based on hours so you've got all these different levers happening so we started building a spreadsheet just to figure out hey peter i need 10 grand can i pull out of the business <laughs> and to get like well can we well i don't know i mean we may have three hundred thousand in the bank account but that may not that doesn't mean anything that's right um Turns out that spreadsheet, which I update monthly, and it is a lot of work to update, is our foundational guiding light. Wow. Because it, so on the very first page, we just have one number, and it either says go surf or go sell. <laughs> it's either read or trend. It's that simple. It's like either. And, and what it answers is over the next six months, do we have enough business to support the company and cover the profit we as owners want to make? Right. If we don't, <clears throat> well, Time to stop dicking around, inventing new features, do things that it's go hustle and sell and focus on things that drive revenue. Or look, we got a lot of room. Okay, we have room to take risks with finances. Um, but part of building that spreadsheet is the process of triage. It, because every line in that spreadsheet has a few things. It has what the project or product is. It has... How much do you think it's worth? Your best guess over the next six months. How much money is that going to bring in? And what are the odds we're actually going to see that money? Like, okay, well, we're talking to uh, Princeton, and they've got this much budget, and I think we have 25% odds of landing that. Well, okay, well, that tells you how much money that effort's worth. And once you've got them all laid out, you can see, okay, well, this is worth a lot, but has low odds or a lot, but high odds. Um and then the other factor is we have uh, we actually have a checklist uh, that we run products and projects by. Uh, we've got a blog post, although I should update it because it's a little out of date at this point, called, I think called Should I Take the Gig? I'll get you the link after so you can oh, yeah. include it. Yep. Um, and it's sort of seven or eight points that sort of we rate. And it's things like, how confident are we we can kick ass on this project? Uh, will this lead to other big opportunities? How much effort is this going to take versus the return on it? You know, how, how does this leave us in terms of resources allocation? Um, 
Does this make one of us really excited to work on? Is this something we personally, emotionally, morally believe in or not? You know, it's like each of these have values and originally they were all equal amounts, but we realized for us, some were more important than others. So we've rebalanced them. And so between like every time we have a bunch of ideas, so we sit down, we do one of these retreats and like, well, should we focus on the core product and make it better? Or should we build a bunch of e-commerce add-ons to support it? Or should we build a SaaS based on it and go to totally different, like these are all things that we talk about constantly. And, and Or should we park this thing, not even put another dollar into it except for support and go work on our service business? I mean, these are there's always options. And so we get the big financial mega spreadsheet out. We sit down, we reckon, well, where are we really and what's it like when it comes down, what is the value of each of these opportunities? And then we check them against our checklist. And honestly, usually that effort creates the conversation. And as often it's not, it's like, damn it, I really wanted to do that thing. But the spreadsheet and our checklist so obviously tells me this is a bad idea. Mm. I have to let it go. Mm. Um, or sometimes, you know, it makes certain things, re- it makes the winners really obvious sometimes. That's a fascinating, uh, it sounds like quite a time consuming and potentially painful process to put something through, but ultimately it sounds like it's giving you the best outcome and the best result. Yeah. It, it allows us to set goals and actually know how we're going to get there, mm. which for a lot of freelancers, like I didn't do for years as a freelancer. It wasn't until I got to a certain, like two, three years into my business that somebody sat me down and they're like, so what's your goal? And I was like, uh, not starve. And they're like, no, you know, let's go better than that. <laughs> you know, and to do a goal. And then I was like, okay, well, I'd really like to make enough money to buy a house. Well, what's that going to cost you? Uh, well, they're like, why don't you talk to a mortgage person and then come back and talk to me? And so I did that. And they're like, well, okay. Based on what they know, to get a small two-bedroom and where I live, I'm going to need to spend $400,000 to put 20% down. Okay, I need to make $4,500 a month. Like, that's it. That allows me to buy a house. Cool. Well, that's a good number. How are you doing now? And where's your revenue? And what's working? What's not working? And so, you know, are you clocking your time? Like, are you even aware of how you're spending your energy? What's billable? What's not billable? Um and when I started doing all that stuff, it had such a radical impact on my business. Pretty much from the first three months I started really tracking, I doubled my income every year for about five years. Wow. I went from making like 25, 30K to by the time I met Peter, I was about 140K a wow. year wow. as a solo freelancer. Wow. Um, just, know, from, just, from, that. just from paying attention to what was happening and treating it like a business, not right. not kind of something you did between surf breaks, yeah? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and thinking about like, okay, well, I can, you know, I can do this content job or I can do this design job or this development job. Well, hey, look, if, if I keep trying to do this, like if I keep making WordPress sites consistently and I start... Going like, well, what if I could reuse this code block and getting faster and more efficient and uh, being able to sell people systems instead of one-offs and just being strategic in the approach to the business had such a drastic impact. Let's talk about uh, today, the business and how it is today. How do you describe what you do in one sentence? 
Me personally or the business? The business. Okay. Um, so we're, we're a digital agency, kind of a little different uh, in that we use freelancers, but uh, we're a digital agency that basically solves problems for large brands, government institutions, and well-funded startups. Um, that's our core business. Um, we also have a line of products that drive pretty okay revenue that we have a lot of fun with. So, cool. Um, what do you What do you spend your most? What does Shane Perlman actually spend most of your time doing day to day? It's a good question. It varies because uh, as the owners, we tend to rotate a little bit, mm-hmm. take turns doing certain stuff. But out of the three of us, I'd say about a third of my time is spent on the business of the business. Mm-hmm. So bookkeeping, managing people, recruiting, um, HR issues, you know, like all the crazy things that come from running a company and managing people. Um, I spend about quarter of my time on straight sales. So sales calls, working with potential customers and leads. Uh, and then um, the rest of my time right now is spent project management. Um like I said, we cycle. So back in January, I was like, I'm so tired of the product business. Does anybody want to take this over? And Reed was like, I'm so tired of our clients. Do you want to switch? And I was like, yes. <laughs> so, you know, like we swapped. Uh, but until like for the two years before that, the products was my baby. You know, like I was sitting at WordCamp listening to Scott Birkin talk about the challenge with the WordPress ecosystem. And I heard a real opportunity to create a premium commercial business. And so we chased after it. And, you know, I went to the guys and I was like, hey guys, could I have six weeks and five grand? And they're like, well, what's what's your goal? Well, I think I can make a commercial plugin. Um, when are you going to quit if it doesn't work? Uh, give me six months. And if it's not creating enough revenue that we've regained our investment, then we'll, we'll you know, we'll cut it off. Um, you know, and that, and then so... We go through cycles. I figure I've got another six months to nine months before I get tired of the service business and want to start something else. Um, and then we'll swap again. And I mean, that's the nice thing about partners. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and having a service business that's stable enough and profitable enough that, you know, Peter's in Germany for a month right now because he really wanted to go to Oktoberfest. Right. <laughs> uh, and we have a business that allowed him to. We're like, dude, yeah. have fun. Yeah, uh, I'll cover your projects. You owe me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. What's the one thing that keeps you awake at night as a business owner? Um. So I'd say there's two things. Um, very practically, there. You know, we've been. I've been running business since 2000. So I mean, we're 12 odd years into it, and I've seen some downtimes. You know. The good news is our business model allows us to contract, but when when things are tight, I you know, I worry about the outflow. Mm. You know, it, it's it's just a scary thing. Um, but most of the time, I'm pretty good at not thinking about that. Um, I don't know. Right now, the biggest thing that worries me is two different uh, these two things that pull at me that are really strong. One is you know, with the three of us, we built a lifestyle business intentionally. Mm. I love surfing during the day. I'm, I'm gonna as soon as I'm done talking to you, I'm gonna go hang out with my wife and give her a massage because I promised her one. Aww. And I can't. But all the day, I should be working, but instead I'm gonna go do that because 
that sounds nice. You're ruining it. Um, you're, you're ruining it for all of us guys. You know that, don't you? <laughs> like, hey, you've just raised um, the bar, man. My fiance is well, definitely not well, watching so this let, interview. Let me give you the counter. Last night at one a.m., my daughter walks in our room and says, "Mom, Dad, I peed in the bed," and and one of us is like, "Why'd you do that?" Well, I really felt like it, and like, and and we looked at each other, and I was like, "No," and Julie's like, "All right, you and me." That's <laughs> <laughs> like, fair enough. Fair enough. She stayed up for two hours to clean, wash, and put my girl back to bed. I, I she gets a massage. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, so, on one side, like, we've built a business that's stable, that allows me to explore, that allows me to have a lifestyle that I love, and I don't have any interest in growing it. And I'm stoked. Like, it's good. We're there. Don't mess with it. Like, mm-hmm. it's awesome. There's another part of me, like, this little voice in the background that's like, but you guys have a pretty epic team, and maybe you could do something huge. Like, the way Mint changed people's basic approach to, like, I am so passionate about, I call it intentionality. Mm-hmm. Helping people make educated choices and not living accidentally, not being victims, not like being conscious. Like for me, every time in my life where I have chosen to be present and conscious, things have changed for the better. Mm. And it's like, so I'm so passionate about that. And so there's another part of me that's like, well, you could just focus on your own lifestyle, you selfish bastard, or you could take some bigger risks with this amazing team you have and try to see if you could have a bigger impact on people in the world. And, that's what kind of keeps me up at night. I know it's sort of like a white man first world problem. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it's because I'm in Silicon Valley and everybody's trying to change the world around me. And I'm like, shut up, just have fun. Um, but yeah, yeah. sometimes that keeps me up. I heard, I actually heard you say that on the Matt Report a, a few weeks back. And I was wondering how you keep that little voice at bay. Or is it just a matter of time before he wins or... It's a good question. I mean, all three of us talk about it. And I'd say Reed and I are, are pretty strongly like, no, but doing something bigger would be good. Um, and Peter's like, how am I going to retire again? <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and they're all valid points, and maybe they all fit together. And um, We'll do something. Um, the, the challenge is I'm not a big gambler. It's just not something I like. Like, I think it's ridiculous. Like, and I, I'm fine. Like, I totally respect all the people who take giant gambles. I'm more the person who likes to, you know, I've heard like there's sort of shotgun versus rifle entrepreneurship. Mm. You can either stuff as many ideas as you can in the barrel, shoot it and see what sticks to the wall and then focus on those. Or you can take one careful measured shot, see if it works, reload and, I'm definitely more on that side. Yeah. Like I tend to like to really think about an idea and if it's the right idea, I'll go chase it yeah. and I'll chase it really doggedly. <laughs> um, but it takes me 10 years to find the right idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. And it's those, it's the, cause if something's a really good idea and it's, and it's, if it's a calling, it keeps coming up, doesn't it? It keeps, you keep hearing it. You can't silence it. Yeah. And this is one that, Eventually, I'll do something. Now, maybe I don't know if it'll be a business. I don't know if it'll be. It'll be something. You know, I don't know. But I, I'd like to. I see some of the stuff happening with like biotechnology, and it blows my mind. Especially some of the metrics. 
Like I look at just the early generations of the bracelets, like the up and, and some of the other things that track fitness and calorie burn. And I'm like, imagine. And, and, and I was talking cause my wife's a biotech recruiter. So I get to hear about some of the really cool stuff going on. And, you know, and she was telling me about ingestible nanobots you can take that monitor you. So they, right now they put them with medicine to see if the medicine's absorbed properly. So they're testing that. But imagine if like, you could have nanobots that monitor your bloodstream to actually tell you like caloric intake versus burn. Like imagine if this whole like calorie counting thing wasn't a problem because you just, your watch would be like today you are 500 positive. You lazy bugger get off your ass or eat less. Like <laughs> That's the kind of intentionality. Like if I could figure out and do stuff like that to put it in front of people's face, that would blow my mind. Yeah. Yeah. There's this theme, fitness is something, and, and health is something that's really important to you, yeah? Yeah. So how, how does that inform, I mean, I've spoken to AD about, you know, running and how that informs his yeah. headspace as an entrepreneur. How does, why is fitness and, and health important to you? Sure. Um, well, there's a bunch. Like, I'll say I've watched both Peter and Reed go through these, like, personal reckonings on fitness which I, I've never had it. I've never been that far off the track that I've needed a reckoning. Right. You know, Reed lost like 65, almost 70 pounds. Um, yeah, he found out his wife was pregnant and he's like, I'm not going to die. I'm going to go do something about it. So he decided to go run a marathon. Wow. And then after that, we're like, and, and he was like, you done? He's like, no. And I'm like, well, maybe we should do a triathlon. And so we did the, the three of us decided to figure out how to do a triathlon and I got really into that last year and that was cool. And, but a lot of it comes back to that kind of those, those six keys of a balanced life, like friends, family, fitness in my life. Anytime I'm really unhappy, if I take the time to sit down and, and analyze, I'll find that I'm pretty out of balance in one of those areas. Mm. So, um, like, I get really grumpy and not very nice if I don't surf for a while. Mm. Um, and I'm not even aware of it. It's not like, oh, I'm jonesing to surf. It's like, eventually, the people who love me know me best to be like, hey, Shane, have you surfed in the last few weeks? I'm like, no, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm not surf right now. I don't have time for that. <laughs> and they're like, you need to get back out in the water there, grumpy dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that's awesome. That's great. Um, uh, let's talk about uh, briefly talk about having a visible profile on the internet. Yeah, you guys are quite visible. Um, you have your own personal blog. You have, I mean, you, you're out and about. Your face is all over the website. You speak at word camps. You're a very public profile on the internet. Two questions: What's the you know what's the best thing and the worst thing about that? And also, how has that changed or your attitude to that changed since becoming a father and having having children? Oh, that's a good question. Um... Well, having a public profile for us started the day Peter and I named the company Shane and Peter. Um, so, so for those of you who don't know the history of Modern Tribe, when Peter and I merged, we like agonized over the business, but we couldn't agree on anything. So we were just calling it Shane and Peter for a while because we didn't know what else to call it, and everybody started calling it that. And when we finally picked names, most people were like, no, 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 it's just those two guys, Shane and Peter. And what was weird is the giant corp clients really loved it. Really? Like, wow. like they really connected with it, which I never would have guessed. I was 
totally nervous about that. But because it turns out when you work with really large companies, you're not actually working with Microsoft. That's you're working with John. That's right. You don't actually work with SAP. You're working with Fred, and Fred's a dude, or, yeah. or Jane's a gal, whatever. And yeah. you know, and they're honestly at the end of the day, they just want to connect with a human being that they know is accountable and is going to get stuff done. Yeah. And so, like, people are really connected because they're like Shane and Peter. It's like, I, you're accountable. You put your name on it. Like, I can talk to you, and you're there, and things work. And it was so like we built a business based on personal. Based on on you know our personal brands, mm. and it was huge. I highly recommend it. Um, we we really debated: should it be Shane, Peter, and Reed, or is that just getting to be retarded? <laughs> um, yeah, and eventually, we decided it was time to change as our business. You know, we're thirty some odd people; it was too much. Yeah. Um, but so there's that. It is a little weird when you go to conferences and people know you, but yeah. you don't know them. Like that's a little weird, but you get used to it. I remember when I uh, when I first met you at Pressnomics last year, uh, I was sitting like three or four rows behind you, and I was like, while the speakers were getting set up, and it was like the start of the first day, and I'm just scanning Twitter, and I I saw a tweet, and I'm like, oh, that's that dude Shane from from Modern Tribe, and I'm kind of looking around, and I'm like, all oh, right, that's him just there, cool, no worries, I'm going to go and say hello in the break. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I mean, that's there's a there's a real value in getting known in in specific circles. It depends on your goals with it. I mean, like, I don't want to sound mercenary, but I'm, I don't do too many things accidentally. I tend to be fairly specific about where I invest my time. Mm. And so, like, if you're going to want to build a public profile, the real question is, like, for what? Mm. Like, in what return? In my case, at the beginning, straight ego. Straight up. Like, yeah. I was like, I want to have... One of the measurements that I've always had in my life is, do I have influence for good? Mm. Like, if I feel like I could do good, do I have enough influence within the networks that matter that I can push the needle towards what I think is good? And for that, you need to have a lot of relationships and get known, and that's, um, and that's probably the most egotistical side of it. But there's a lot of their sales. Now, is being well-known in the WordPress community going to lead to a lot of sales? I don't know. Mm. I mean, Jake even said it when, when they asked him during our panel at WordCamp SF. They're like, hey, did contributing to Core get you a lot of clients? No, not really, but it provides validation and proof once we're having conversations. Mm. It's credibility. <clears throat> um, so it, it depends. Now, if you're a single freelancer and you want to work with agencies, does being known in the WordPress community help? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. We will find you that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's that, that's value. As far as fatherhood, I don't know yet because I think my daughter's going to grow up with a very different idea of what the word public and private mean mm. than I do. Like she's going to grow up in a world where the NSA has seen everything she's ever done and there's no secrets. <laughs> Uh, at least I had the illusion they weren't watching me when I was younger. <laughs> um, so, you know, like, I think, she, you know, with mobile and GPS turned on, there's no privacy of location. Like, she, it's a different world for her. So mm. I think the next generation of people, you everything you do is a public profile. It's just a question of how far you intend to reach with it. Mm. The reason I'm asking these questions is because a lot of our audience are freelancers, and a lot of them are... Um, Nervous, nervous or apprehensive, or apprehensive about, about putting themselves out there and, and being so visible in the public sphere. And I'm a big advocate 
of it, and I, I personally see the benefits of doing it. And um, so I always like to hear from other people who you know who who are quite public if there are any downsides or any things to look out for or any rookie mistakes that people should be you know careful of because I, I, I think you know I think the benefits far outweigh the uh, the the risks. Yeah, I guess the real debate is just craft a public persona intentionally. You know, like, be nice and do good work. That's sort of a philosophy that we have. So you'll notice with all the WordPress drama that happens, have you ever seen Modern Tribe get involved in it? Mm. Never. You won't. I don't believe in that stuff. That's not the kind of public persona I ever want to have. People can have all the public fights and whatever they want, and I feel a bit embarrassed for them, but beyond that, I don't really care. Yeah. Um, you know, and it doesn't mean I'm not having these conversations in private. That's right. With people who have influence that I have relationships with. Yeah. I do. Um, but, you know, so it's like craft the kind of person you want to be. You know, I'm not saying that the conflict isn't good. A lot of times you can get an enormous value out of public conflict. Um, but... That's probably the biggest one. Look, I, there was a period where our blog had unbelievable followership right before I had a kid and stopped blogging. <laughs> we were getting like 100 comments per post, like real followership. And I posted one on why I thought starting a video rental shop was the stupidest business you could ever do. And the amount of hate I got by people whose mom, dad, brother, sister just started a video rental shop was unbelievable. But that's that's a challenge of having an opinion in public. And so that's that's the trade-off is like, well, at the same time, I'm also somebody who's perfectly okay being wrong. <laughs> so there's plenty of posts where I've made a question or a statement and halfway through, I'm like, you guys are totally right. Thank you so much for changing my mind on this. I'm going to go write a follow-up post, you know. Yeah, yeah. Humility. But I do advise blogging. Blogging had a huge impact on our business early on. Interesting. We're going to talk about um, we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Let's talk briefly about the Events Calendar Pro. Well, how did that start? Was it was it to scratch your own itch? Um, kind of not really. So we we were exploring with just having stuff in the .org repo, you know, and just open source and code. Uh, and two of our plugins have been really taking off and getting traction to the point where, so I love so the WordPress core community. They're, they're thoughtful, they're invested. The giant community of free users, there's two types. There's the grateful ones and the terrifying ones. Mm. And there's not a lot in between. Mm. The grateful ones are unbelievable. Like you go on the .org support forums and people will spend so much time helping other people for free. Mm. Like one of the most active guys on the events calendar on .org, the free version, Andy's awesome. So he's brain surgeon by day. And at night he likes to code WordPress in his free time and help people on our support forum. Go over here. We've tried to hire him. And he's like, you guys can't afford me. What are you talking about? <laughs> and I'm like, You're totally right. Like we have this photo of him doing Open brain surgery. It's amazing. Oh, my God. Uh, you know? And so you got these people like that, and then you got other people who are like, I can't believe this isn't perfect. It should work perfectly. You guys suck. And I'm like, it's free. Yeah. Shut up. Yeah. You know, it's like, come on. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it grew to a point where we were worried we couldn't afford to spend any more time on it. We didn't know what to do. and It was too much support. But um, And then I heard Scott... 
Birkin talk about this problem he was dealing with as a user. He's basically one of the oldest WordPress users. This was a camp at WordCamp SF in 2010. And he said, look, I have a very simple problem. He's like, if I, he's like, I never updated my site because I never thought about it until I got hacked. He's like, and I lost a lot of revenue when my site went down from getting hacked. Like I made money from living from this site. He's like, so everybody's like, I can't believe you don't update your site. Well, of course you got hacked. You need to update to be safe. And he's like, okay. So I started hitting update, 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 update until one of the updates took my site down. And he's like, he's like, no, I'm screwed. Cause like, if I don't update, I'm going down. If I do update, I'm going down. He's like, he's like, if somebody could just create plugins that I could trust to not take my site down, I would happily pay for it. Mm -hmm. I was like, there it is. Like, because I'd always been wondering, why would anybody pay for something when there's so much free stuff? Mm. And the answer is really simply, if you have a business that depends on it, that is making revenue, paying $50 to save a $10,000 loss outage is a very easy mathematical decision. And it made me realize nobody was paying for features, people were paying for trust. Mm. So that's what we did. We were like, well... Maybe we could really, really just focus on making sure our calendar works as well as we can. And it doesn't mean it's bug-free because there's 10 million themes out there and they all work different and so forth. But just focus on that. People pay for it. And it kind of, yeah, it took off. I mean, it, we went through different phases. We played with the Code Canyon with Envato's Marketplace as a starting point because we didn't know what we were doing. And that seemed like a low-risk way to try it out. And eventually we moved on to our own because... Uh, there were restrictions in the marketplace that didn't fit our vision of how to grow. Um, but it's like every step was very cautious. Like there was no giant invest. Like, like I said, I invested five grand to see if I could make a product from, from somewhere already had. So it wasn't from scratch. Yeah. But it was from battening it down enough that I could comfortably ask people to pay money for it. And so that, that initial marketing process, you talked about Code Canyon, was that was – that was that like the low-hanging fruit? How do we get this out in front of a large audience quickly and inexpensively just go through the biggest marketplace? Yeah. You nailed it. Totally. And, and I also happened, I mean, I knew Collis and Cyan from my blogging days, the, uh, the owner. And so, you know, we, we heard rumors that they were thinking of starting WordPress plugins. So we approached, it was just coincidental timing. Mm. So we were one of the early launch partners. Um, but still, I, I know people would start today. Uh, I don't. I don't think we got a huge advantage of that. In fact, maybe a disadvantage because there weren't as many people looking. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, it, we didn't have to pay for commerce. We didn't have to figure out a store. We didn't do marketing. Like all we had to worry about was code mm. and a little bit of support. There's a great presentation of yours. I was looking through last night on SlideShare. Um, the capitalist in the yeah in the, the co-op in the co-op yeah. Or kibbutz, and I forget which one I put. I'm going to put a link to that under the the show notes here because I was just reading through it last night, think you know, going man, if I like when we started our plugin business six years ago, I wish I had that presentation six years ago because it's like, dude, I wish I had that presentation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's like, <laughs> like join the dots. How to how to you know like like it literally like is a blueprint that you follow step by step. You know, it was awesome. So would you? The, the question is, would you still recommend if someone's Starting a plugin business now, would you still recommend leveraging those marketplaces like CodeCanyon, yeah. for example, as an initial marketing strategy to get some traction? Unless you have a brand or a powerful marketing mechanism to drive your own traffic, absolutely. 
Now, in, in our case, we eventually built one so that by the time we were getting to the point, like we had, we had a lot of people on .org using our free version. And we eventually determined, hey, I think we could figure out how to point that funnel at the premium version in such a way that we don't need the, like, I think we'd do better there than the marketplace. And it turned out that was the case. Mm. Um, but as a, as a place to get started, it's, it's awesome. You know, and um, now, you know, there's a lot more competition on there these days. It's growing and there's a lot of people involved, but I'm a big fan. Mm. There's lots of traffic lots too, of traffic. so it's, it's like, uh-huh. you know. It's more competition, but there's more audience. It's it's a really safe way to get started. Mm. Let's talk about freelancing for a moment. So, for those of you that don't know, our uh, we have a, a business accelerator program called WP Elevation, which is designed to help WordPress freelancers grow their business. And cool. so, you know, Matt Report refers to you as the the godfather of the freelancing family. Um, just to set the scene, before I drill through this quick uh, elevation round, just to set the scene, you guys work with some big brands, right? You, so you've got – what I'm trying to establish here is that you, you, you've got some credibility. You've got some runs on the board. What I'm interested in is how do you go about finding and building those relationships with brands like AOL and eBay and MTV? Like how does that come about? Sure. So so you mentioned SlideShare. Here's another deck you should add. I have a slide called uh, – how to land the big fish? Basically, oh, yeah, yeah. how do you get big customers? Yeah, um, which I tackled that lightly, but but it's in there. But fundamentally, it is entirely relationships. Like you don't get clients like that as a freelancer by answering some random RFP. Like that doesn't work. Like <laughs> you do it because either a client refers you. Or in my case, a lot of it is I go to conferences or I go to events. Where those people are, and I hate to say it, they're not at work camps. Mm-hmm, that's right. Like I don't go to work camps for sales. Like there's no, yeah. there's no real customers for me in a work camp. Not typically. No. Um, I go to, you know, like I went to a UX conference called Redesign, and I think it was May, and it was awesome. It was like 250 people, of which over half of them, in front of their name was the word VP, or Director of, uh, <laughs> and it was. Virgin Airlines, CNN, uh, Microsoft, you know, like, did I go to learn about UX? Kinda. Did I go to meet these people? Yes. <laughs> and the conference was like, I think I paid 300 bucks for the ticket. Mm-hmm. And I got to spend three days having beer and hanging out with these people. And I got conversations. Yep. Will they lead into work immediately? Probably not. Maybe one will. Am I sowing seeds for the future? Sure. And a lot of times, like, it takes two years for a seed to sprout, but I keep sowing seeds, building relationships. The key is to not pitch your work when you meet these people. That's like, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The key is to make a buddy. Yeah. Um, and build a relationship so that later when you meet them again in six months, they remember who you are. So you have this fascinating conversation about your kid learning to stand up paddleboard or um, the fact that you are a goat herder and they love goat milk. I don't know, whatever, whatever crazy thing it is that will create such a memorable moment that when you email them or call them a month later, they'll be like, I totally remember you. Yeah. And yeah, that was fun. We should, yeah, we got, maybe I could find something. Let me see. Yeah. Because they're the one who are going to get you past the corporate firewall. That's right. And so it's, it's, what you've identified there is that you're thinking about the, the medium to long term. You're not thinking about the quick gains or the, the short runs that you can make now. You're thinking more long term. Yeah, large corp sales, that, that's the way it is. Like, I've never seen it. I, 
maybe you can land it quick and maybe through referrals is mostly how that happens. Mm. Like somebody needs something, they know you, they refer. And so always asking for referrals too, mm. really actively, like in the middle of projects, whenever you meet somebody being like, Hey, you know, I, I always ask people, in fact, everybody watching, uh, I'm trying to fill our Q1. If you know anybody with a giant project over at least over 40 K and it's interesting, send them my way. I'll, I'll be happy to talk to them. I'll treat them with respect and love and make sure that if we're not the right people, we'll send them to somebody who are. Awesome. Um, there you go. You heard it first here. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, just focused on building relationships. The other thing I think that's worthwhile is when you think about long-term relationships. So we're working with Microsoft right now on a project and our relationships with John and a few other people. And maybe John will be at Microsoft forever, but it's just as likely that to five or ten years from now, John will be at Boeing mm. or John will be at uh, eBay or somewhere else. And so a lot of big companies, you hop with people. Mm. You build these great relationships, and when they switch companies, they take you with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like that's why things like LinkedIn are really important so you don't lose track of these people when they switch companies mm. because that's the best way to get into the next company is be like, Raul, dude, we haven't hung out in like a year. How are things over at IAC? Oh, they're great. Awesome. Well, hey, it'd be kind of cool to work on dictionary.com. You know anything going on there? For sure, buddy. Let me introduce you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's like. Yeah. And so just I just want to talk a little bit about an insecurity that a lot of freelancers have. You guys all work for your distributed workforce. You all work from home, right? You know, there's no like modern tribe headquarters, big office with a big like spiral staircase. You're you're looking. This is modern tribe headquarters right Right. here. So tell me this: How did did you ever did you ever have that moment where you went, you know, oh my god, I can't work with Microsoft and eBay and AOL and these big brands because they won't take me seriously because I work out of my home. I don't have an office. No, but that's because I'm one of those weird people. Even back in early 2000, that always thought the office was ridiculous and just. You know, sometimes you can just get by on chutzpah. Um, you know, it's just balls. And I mean, we did have, there were a few times, like we lost a contract with the EAA because they just, and this is, it's the, uh, um, basically they're, they're the organization, oh, not yet, FAA, sorry, uh, that manages all flights in the United States, overseas, everything, because they just couldn't wrap their head around the fact that we had no office. It's the only one ever. In fact, they're the only person who's ever objected. Huh. <laughs> um because and sometimes I'll fly to go see a client. But the reality is, so what if we had an office? Unless they're in the same building as us, mm. it's not like we're hanging out with the customer on a regular basis. Mm. Usually part of the discussion is, hey, do we even need to go out and meet you? Mm. <laughs> like, mm. There's a lot of big customers. I've never met them. I'll yeah. work two to three years with somebody. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, I remember working with the CEO of Blip for a while, for about a year and a half before I met him. And I was like, Oh my God, you're white. Because <laughs> he's got the deepest voice. And he's this tiny, he's this little white guy, but he has like the deep baritone. I was like, I totally thought he was black. <laughs> I was like, you know, so go figure. Man, that's awesome. I'm a big advocate of not having to, you know, drive across town and meet clients unless you absolutely have to. And Because I actually right. think a lot of those meetings don't need to happen in the flesh. So I'm really uh, pleased to hear you say that. Okay, quick round. Let's talk about how to elevate yourself as a freelancer. Sure. What's the number one thing any freelancer or consultant needs to know? Clock your time. Nice. What's the best thing you've ever done to find new customers? 
Awesome, good ones. That's a good question. Um, it's going to sound so hoboish, but go to major conferences with a cardboard sign and walk around say, with a sign that says "Need freelance work?" question mark <laughs> It totally worked. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I got tons of projects. The whole the hobo approach worked really well. People awesome. thought it was fun. How do you stop competing on price? Um, by figuring out who the decision maker is, finding out what they define as a win, and really rapidly you'll find out it has nothing to do with price. Wow. And so if you can, can if you can actually get to the decision maker and figure out what they really need, is it time, is it certain degree of quality, like what it is, if they get the sense that you're actually going to hit their needs, then price becomes a secondary dialogue. I mean, we're, we're in the middle of a conversation right now with one of the larger brands in the United States where they approached us and they're like, we need a bunch of stuff. We need it cheap. And I was like, you shouldn't be doing this stuff. That's retarded. Like there's no, I cannot see why you would invest money in doing this stuff. On the other hand, you have some major problems. Maybe you should tackle these and here's how we can help you. And now we've moved past two never, you know, we're about to have a call with the VP on Monday about a much larger set of business problems where I know they were talking to competitors of ours and maybe they'll still talk to them, but most likely we left them behind by elevating the discussion. Mm, awesome. That is gold. Uh, any tips on writing better proposals or increasing conversions? Yeah. You... We have a proposal template that we put enormous amount of time into. And we get the same feedback every time we submit a proposal now. While this is a very thorough and thoughtful proposal, we can clearly see that you've thought about our problems. Now, have we thought about the problems? Yeah, of course we have. Um, but a lot of that thought was because we've done these projects before. Mm. Like we've written a lot of this stuff before. It's not accidental. So we've got a section in our proposal on the workflow process and what it's like to work with us. We've got sections on it on the technologies that get used. And we've got, it's like it's, it's boilerplate. Mm. It's not really boilerplate because it's enormous amount of love in there. The other thing I would actually say is write your contracts in English, not in legalese. Um, sorry. No worries. See you, Venture. Bye-bye. Bye, Venture. <laughs> um, so there's that the other thing I would say is uh, personally it's a bit of a luxury but not really don't participate in RFPs <laughs> they're a waste of time now uh, there are exceptions like sometimes we'll participate in RFP if I can sit down with a decision maker and be like so what's it going to take for us to win this and if they can't convince me that we have a hell of a good shot, then I'll walk away. Yeah, and yeah. I'm just yeah. too much time. Yeah, awesome. I, that's a whole other conversation that I'm sure you and I and Chris Lemmer are probably going to have at Pressnomics. Um, <laughs> uh, favorite tool or system for CRM? Um, God, you know, I wish I had a CRM system, um, but I don't. Cause so do I. I. That's why I keep asking people this system. question, you know? Yeah, no, no. It's the, the fact is I've tried so many, and what I take... So Peter has this, we really, really, really like, I don't know, what do you call them, mottos, axioms, uh -huh. uh, mantras. Mm -hmm. That's probably the best word. We yeah. really like mantras. <clears throat> Peter has one called work comfortably. And it's some we've basically concluded that if anything you need to do is uncomfortable, you probably won't end up doing it very long. Mm -hmm. I have never, 
ever found a CRM system that I find comfortable. Mm. I'm sure I could get comfortable with it. Uh, it's not that I don't organize, but my CRM system is my email mm -hmm. and a text pad that I keep open on the side. Like I've got a text pad on the left side of my screen. It's always open. The very top of it I have, what do I need to do today mm -hmm. to make sure the business moves forward so that I focus on the important as well as the urgent because yep. otherwise the urgent don't need my day. Mm -hmm. I have that. Then I have high-level things I need to do for my business, my real estate stuff, our content and performance things, and then personal. Below it, I have a list of all the projects that we're accountable for, so broken out by Shane, Peter, and Reed. And at the bottom, I have our sales, active sales leads that I'm managing. And it's like, and I've never found something that is faster than my tech stock. I hate to say it. And for all of you who use CRMs, God bless you. It's good. Do so. That said, to counter that, don't run your business without a project management system. And I consider that different than a CRM. Yeah. Um, so as a project management system, I don't care if it's Basecamp or, um, um, you know, God, there are so many. Uh, you know, we use uh, Chili. Um, you know, there, there's thousands, but use one. It's indispensable for keeping track of people, your time, the work you're doing, customers. has such a drastic impact. So, so on that, what's the best way to keep a project and a client on track? Um, it's really good. So for a project, um, can everybody who's involved tell you what a win looks like? Because often it's really easy for projects to go off track if people, different people think success looks different. Mm. Um, can you as the project manager, whether you're a freelancer and a project manager and team of one or whether you're a group, can you answer the questions, what is your scope, timeline, and budget? And where are you at the where are you in each of those at any time? So we have a wiki for every project that lays out the timeline. Everybody on the team knows what are all the major milestones, how are we doing? Um, you know, we have deliverables that are due. So it's like just Keeping track of that stuff, and then if you're working with other people, scrums. On a regular basis, just getting together and saying, well, what did you do since last time we met? What are you going to do between now and the next time we meet? Are you stuck on anything? Is there anything you need help on that we should set a meeting about or a work session for? Mm. Uh, awesome. Those are fundamental. Any ideas for getting referrals from your existing clients? Yeah, totally. Ask for them. <laughs> I don't mean that facetiously. In fact, yeah. ask for them early, um, not not too late. Like we're really good about upselling. The other thing to ask for is so a lot of people think about referrals, but the best clients are the ones that you can go from project to project to project to. So usually, about halfway through a project with a customer, I'm starting to think about phase two. We're starting to talk about what's next. What should we do after this? Oh, well, that's a really good feature idea. Let's slot that for phase two. And it's not just talking about phase two abstractly. I'll say, like, depending on the cycle, like a couple months before the end of this project, I'm starting to talk about, like, hey, so how's your funding looking for phase two? Like, have you got this through the board? When's your next budget set? Oh, your fiscal year starts in September. Well, that sounds like a great time to start phase two. You know, it's like I'm, I'm upselling actively for existing customers, mm -hmm. as well as going like, hey, you know, I'm, I really liked it, you know, and there's two ways to ask for customers. There's, 
who do you know, which is great. But also there's, hey, I really would like to work with Sesame Street. Do you happen to know anybody there? Because like, I know you like me right now. And so like, okay. now would be an awesome time to get a referral to somebody at Sesame Street. <laughs> awesome. Uh, do you actually really want to work with Sesame Street, by the way? Yeah, if you know somebody at Sesame Workshop, uh, I for the last two years, I've been actively looking for a good project and a hookup. Cool. And somebody who has decision-making authority. I'm sure we can make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> someone watching will know someone. Uh, all right, what's the number one thing you can do to differentiate yourself from the pack? There's a certain amount of personal branding and relationships. Um, it's hard because on one side, I'd say focus. On the other side, like it doesn't mean focus on a particular technology. It's like for us as a company, our focus has always been about really figuring out how to solve a people problem. Mm. Technology is incidental. Like we do a lot of WordPress. We're passionate believers in it. Mm. But I don't sell WordPress. Yeah. I don't even care about WordPress. Like mm. WordPress is cool. I love you all. Mm. Um, but as far as a customer goes, what I really care about, and this is how we've differentiated ourselves on a service business. On the service business is we are accountable. That's our. That's how we've chosen to differentiate ourselves. You can count on us. If you come to us and we say we'll get it done, we will get it done. We're also the very first people to tell you that it's freaking impossible and you're out of your mind. Because that's part of accountability. Yeah. I will not promise you something I cannot do and I will tell you very quickly if you're, you're smoking crack. <laughs> um, you know, so that's how we differentiate. And so finding a way, when I was a freelancer, the way I differentiate myself, I was the everyman. I was the dude who could do almost everything you could ask for. Couldn't do any of it particularly well. But if you wanted one guy and you just want to deal with one person, he could do design and dev and content and audio production, video. I mean, doesn't matter. I was willing to get my knuckles bloody and scrap it together. And that was, that was my offering. Like, I was like, I'm not afraid to do whatever it takes in the hustle. Right? And it's, so there's a lot of different types of ways to differentiate. It don't have to be like um, – but you could specialize. Like we had a guy on our team – who picked an open source project that was underserved and just hammered it until it became part of the core team. And then his business was, if you want Redmine or Chili Consulting, I am the guy. In the same way that Mark Jaquith has kind of built a consulting business around being the WordPress security guy. Mm. He's like, you know, I'm going to know more about this than anyone else you could ever talk to. Mm. You know, and so there's there's a lot of ways to go about it. Awesome. What's the future for Modern Tribe? Ah, that is a really good question. Um, right now, well, we've been kind of on this trajectory of like figuring out how to in integrate and balance a product and service business. Mm. And I think we're finally getting to the point where that's not the end goal. Meaning like we're starting to look around and we're like, Wow, check this out. <laughs> like, this is now a pretty significant. Like, last year it was 20% of our income. This year it's closer to 35% of our income, our product business. It's growing and significant. Wow. 
Um, so as we stabilize that, um, I think over the next two or three years, it's going to be like, what's that next big project? Is it, is it a SaaS? Maybe we've got, we literally have every single piece we need to do a SaaS except the deep marketing experience. And I think that might be a fun direction to go. I mean, we, like we scale sites for other companies with 25 million uniques a month. And like all that we built SaaSes for companies that, you know, your mom would recognize. So like, mm-hmm. you know how to do it for other people. Maybe we'll do it for ourselves. That's one possibility. Um, I don't know. I think you just answered my next question. What's the, uh, the future of the product suite within Modern Tribe? Is it, is, will, it, will it always be around events and calendars? Maybe. Uh, and I say maybe like, yes, for that business, I don't think we're going to like suddenly start pulling up other random WordPress plugins. Like, you know, like I don't think that's the direction we're going to diversify. We may do other event related stuff. Like, you know, like I mentioned earlier, maybe a bookings one, which is just a permutation of events. Yeah. Um, I think if anything, it's a matter of really scaling out how we're supporting that. And then I think it'd probably be another company that we would start, you know, for the next business. Although Reed and I have a pretty big passion on doing a content business. And if we can ever find a viable business plan that actually convinces us there's money to be made in writing great content and telling great stories, we probably would do it. Mm. We, We love it deeply. Um, just neither of us have really seen it for the amount of energy and passion that it takes. Mm. You know, we both love writing. We love design. We love long form content. I'd love to be in, like, dude, I have an 8,000 word article in the can two thirds of the way done on. Remember I was talking about that giant spreadsheet I wrote mm. that we wrote as a company on how to manage. I wrote a giant article on how do you manage your business and answer complex questions by building this spreadsheet. You got to be a real entrepreneur to be down with an article like that but you know it's like oh man I'd love to I'd love to find a way to get paid to write articles like that but I, I don't know if there's a business that competes with other stuff that we do an entrepreneur yeah that's good I like it uh, hey, this has been awesome. Just before we wrap up, I want to thank you very much, Shane Pellman from Modern Tribe, for taking the time to speak to us on the WP yeah. Elevation podcast. I was talking to a colleague recently. He said, you know, this thing that you're doing where you interview people from like all over the world and different parts of the industry, for you, it's like you get all this free consulting from them just by interviewing them. I'm like, I know. I learned so much. It's <laughs> awesome. The cat's out of the bag now. Um, uh-huh. Uh, let me give you the, the details about the competition. So Shane has uh, very kindly uh, offered to sponsor a, uh, a license for the Events Calendar Pro plugin, which I'm a huge fan of. I've used it to build uh, websites for nonprofits here in Melbourne, and they run their conferences through it, integrating with Eventbrite for ticketing. It's awesome. Events Calendar Pro is, um, is, is definitely a plugin worth checking out. So what we're going to do is... Uh, if you can tell us underneath the video the one feature that you would like to see in Events Calendar Pro moving forward for a future edition, I'll get Shane to swing by in a week's time and have a look at those comments and award the prize to you know the most interesting or the most exciting or the most well thought out or whatever. Sure. Uh, sound good? Cool. All right. What's the number one piece of advice you would give any entrepreneur trying to build their own business? Make a list of the top 100 things you want to have, do, and become with your life. 
and look at that list every day and ask yourself, did I do something today to get me one step closer to something on that list? If not, make sure you do it tomorrow. That's awesome. That's great. Where can people reach out to you, Shane? Uh, I am on Twitter at just like air. That's all one word, just like air. Um, and our website is tri.be. So there's no dot com. It's just the word tribe with a dot right in the middle between the I and the B. Uh, if you happen to be really interested in real estate investing, that's sort of like what I do with all my non-modern tribe time. Uh, I write a lot about that. Well, not a lot, but I write plenty about that uh, at PerlmanRealEstate.com. So you, you know, if you've ever thought about taking all your giant real estate dividends or your your freelance dividends and investing them into rental properties, uh, I just wrote read a huge article on how to be a first-time landlord because he just started a few weeks ago. And, Sweet. Um, so there you have it. I didn't know you were doing that. I'm going to check that out for sure. That's awesome. Uh, are you going to Pressnomics this year? Yeah. Awesome. I'll buy you a beer, man. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're coming to Pressnomics, uh, I am the moderator on a session on uh, distributed workforce. So Unreal. how to run teams from Australia to California and back. Awesome. Looking forward so, to that. Hey, finally, who would you like me to try and interview for this podcast and why? That's a good question. If you haven't gotten Lemma, I like him. Ah, oh, I haven't done. I haven't done Lemma, no. Yeah, he's, that's, that's a smart cat. There's, there's a lot of amazing coders in the WordPress niche, but there's not that many of us who have a vast background of business experience and talk about it. Mm. I, I think Lemma's great on that. If you want somebody who's good and controversial who sits on the other side, I think Jake's very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and, and Alex provides another. Like the three of us have really different approaches, and they're all kind of interesting people. Cool. Well, there's a couple of people to add to my list. I'm coming to get you, courtesy of Shane Pelman at Modern Tribe. Hey, thank you very much for hanging out with us on the WP Elevation podcast. And uh, yep. I wish you all the best with the, uh, the product business and with everything you're doing at Modern Tribe. And I look forward to seeing you at Pressnomics. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody. Hope you guys have a great day. Go uh, have some fun, make some money. Awesome. Thanks, man. Cheers.